You're listening to audio from Calvary Baptist Church of Port Austin. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about us, please visit cbcportaustin.org. I'm not sure when exactly this starts to happen. I think it's somewhere between middle school and high school that we really start to become aware of our identity or we start to look around at people and we start to look at the different groups and, and we see where do I fit in um, and it really starts to happen around then. We ask questions like am I an athlete um, or am I a brain or maybe I'm more artsy or which group do I belong to and most of you probably remember going through that phase um, although some of you high school was so long ago then maybe you don't remember going through that phase but all you have to do is look at your grandkids, your Um, your kids, or even watch any TV show or movie where there's teens, and you can kind of see this play out. You see um, the nerds over here, and the jocks over here, and the art kids over here, and then there's those groups that that stand off to the side, and they just kind of um, say we're not part of any group, but they really kind of form their own group by by becoming outcasts. And so there's all these different groups, and what that is is that's the the human desire that all of us are born with to find identity, right? Like who am I? Where do I fit in? What what am I like? What, what types of friends could I spend time with? And the assumption is that after high school, that kind of goes away. And that's just kind of like, oh, that's, that's a phase you'll go through in junior high, high school, and then it kind of goes away. But really, it keeps happening. And you can see it all over in colleges all across our country. And I remember going to college, and the same thing happened in college. And, and then a lot of people think, well, after college, it goes away. But really, it doesn't go away after that. Even today, if you think about it, People identify themselves um, by a lot of different things, by their race, by the neighborhood they live in, by their job or their socioeconomic status. It happens all the time, and we even identify ourselves by the stuff we have, right? So, so our clothing, our cars, our houses, our toys, whatever we own, that's kind of part of who we are. We like to dress in this certain way to think, um, when people look at me, this is what I want them to know about me. And, and we have this idea that these are the things that will, will help us form an identity. And sadly, for a lot of people, um, their entire identity is wrapped up in the car that they drive or the house that they own um, or the money that they have in their bank account. For some, it's a little more noble um, and their identity is completely wrapped up in their family or their marriage. And they're, they're trying, to, trying to get across to other people that they have this perfect like Facebook, Instagram couple, right? Where you see the pictures and everything's perfect in the picture. But if you were there live, people were screaming and running and, and there was tears and, and they were ripping their clothes off and, and then they smiled for the picture and they posted it. But, but in reality, it's not like that. But we, we try to maybe give across this vibe like our couple, um, this couple is perfect or this family is perfect. And, and that's, again, trying to find our identity and, and maybe we're this perfect family. And it, it goes back to that basic desire to find out who we are. And it, for adults, it's not so much am I artsy, am I brainy, or am I an athlete. It's how much money do I have, what neighborhood do I live in, what car do I drive. And, and the same basic tendency is to ask ourselves, where do I fit in? And what's ironic about the whole thing is that um, the, the people who would maybe consider themselves in the upper class are more sophisticated. They would say um, something like, I'm more sophisticated because I drive this fancy sports car or because I have this large, luxurious home. And, and then you've even got the middle class who, who says things like, well, I'm not some sissy, caviar-eating, sports car-driving um, city-it, right? If you're not sure, that's city and idiot combined. Um, it's a word that's used a lot during Cheeseburger Festival. 
festival in Caseville um, when, when all the people fill, fill the town. But, but you get what you're saying. You've got the upper class that are all like, I'm this. And then you've got the middle class that are like, I'm glad I'm not that. And, and you've got this back and forth where people think, this is where I fit in. This is who I am. This is what I'm about. Um, but the, the awesome and encouraging and, and joyous things for us as Christians is that we don't have to work to earn our identity. We don't have to um, buy certain things or fit in with certain groups or, or try certain different um, ideas or jobs or anything to try to earn who we are. Our identity is given to us by God. It's a gift. It's something we receive. It's not something we earn. And as we look in this passage, you're going to see what this exactly means. But when you have that time where you trust Jesus as your Savior, you know that you're, you're trusting in Him alone for salvation. The Bible says you're, in a mysterious way, united to the person of Jesus Christ. There's, it's called the union of Christ. And it's an incredible truth that, that there's a lot of different metaphors you can try to use. Scripture talks about a tree and a branch. It says he is the vine and, and we're the branches. And so we're connected to him that way. Um, scripture also talks about marriage and how um, the two become one in marriage. And the same is true for us with Christ. When we receive him into our life as our Lord and Savior, we become one with him. And so what I want to do today is I want to unpack this passage and look at what it means to be united to Christ. But let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. And Lord, we thank you so much for this passage of Scripture and how encouraging it is to us and all the amazing truths that come with the fact that we're united to your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I just pray that you'd fill me with your Spirit and use me today to effectively teach what your Word has for us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you haven't been with us, we've been walking through this letter of the Colossians. And um, you may have noticed as we've been reading, those of you who have been, as you'll see this constant theme in Christ. Um, it's, it's all throughout, it might say in Him or in whom, but it's all about being in Christ. And I'll give you a few examples right here in this chapter if you want to look. In, in verse 6, it says Christians are to walk in Him. Now at first reading, that would be somewhat awkward. Like how do you walk in someone? But that's what he's trying to get across. That you're in union with Him. Um, next, Christians are rooted and built up in Him. That's verse 7. Verse 10, Christians are complete in Him. 11, Christians are circumcised in him. Verse 12, Christians are buried with him. And verse 12 again, Christians are raised to life with him. And so you see this, this constant theme that Paul is trying to get, to get across to these Colossians, that you are in Christ. You are with Christ. You are in union with Christ. And I love um, what he says in verse 8. He says, So beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. What he's saying is don't get caught up in the elementary principles or teachings of this world. You don't need that stuff. Everything you need is in Christ. And then look at verse 9. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. I love that because there's people out there who try to say that Jesus isn't God. But, but this verse kind of throws all of those arguments out the window. It doesn't just say that, that some of the Godhead is in him. It doesn't even just say that the fullness of the Godhead is in him. It says all the fullness of the Godhead dwelled in the body of Jesus Christ as he was here. He was 100% God, 100% man. And you may say, well, that doesn't add up. Exactly. We can't understand it with our finite human minds. But Jesus was God. Jesus is God. 
God in the flesh. It's incredible. And so when we see this, then he tells us in verse 10, and I want you to look at this because it's incredible. He just talked about Jesus, who all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in bodily. In verse 10 he says this, and ye are complete in him. That word complete has the idea of you're filled. You're complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. And so what Paul is saying here is Jesus, that amazing person who has all the fullness of the Godhead dwelling in him, is the person that you are in union with if you're a Christian today. That's the person that you're filled with. That's the person that you're complete with. That's the person that that you have and you don't need anything else. You don't have to add some ritualistic religion. You don't have to add these other principles that we get in our culture. All you need is Jesus Christ. And that message is just as relevant for us today as it was to these first century Christians in Colossae. It's the message that you you have Jesus if you're a Christian. And that is all you need. And, And I love how it says it in verse 10. Complete in Christ. Complete in Him. And that's the joy that we have as Christians. So what I want to do today is we're just going to walk through this passage. And I want to point out three amazing truths about your identity in Christ and your union with Him. And the first thing I want you to understand is that you're united in His death. Look at verse 11. It says this, In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, what in the world does that mean, right? You just read that and you're just like, what does that mean? In fact, at first read, it might even seem a little bit awkward. Like, why is he talking about circumcision, right? That's, that's kind of strange. But to give you a little background, in the Old Testament, circumcision was used to set apart a Jew as one of God's chosen people. It was a physical action with spiritual significance, and it was extremely important. In fact, when the Christian church began, there was this big controversy where some Christians were saying that to be a Christian, you had to be circumcised. And it became such a big controversy that they actually had a council about it, and you can read about it in Acts 15. And they had to argue back and forth to say, do you need to be circumcised? Because as a Jew, to be one of God's chosen people, that was like it, man. You had to be circumcised. And, and oftentimes you hear the, the word um, they would call the, the Gentiles, these uncircumcised Gentiles, these uncircumcised Philistines. And so, so they were arguing back and forth. And obviously they concluded that you didn't have to be circumcised to become a Christian. Jesus paid it all. That's all you need. And so they landed on that. But that gives you an idea of how incredibly important it was in the Jewish mind. And so what Paul is saying here is he's using circumcision um, metaphorically here to describe a spiritual action that takes place when you become a Christian. When a person places their faith in Christ, as believers, we are no longer controlled by our sinful bodies and we now belong to Jesus. And that's why it says putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. So what he's saying is the old us has been cut off and we're no longer controlled by our past. I love how my commentary put this. The circumcision of Christ refers to his death on the cross of Calvary. The thought is that when the Lord Jesus died, the believer died also. He died to sin, Romans 6.11, to the law and to self, Galatians 2.20, and to the world, Galatians 6.14. So the picture is that when you trusted Christ as your Savior, you were circumcised spiritually and that your old person, the old nature, the flesh, was cut off. And now you are united to Christ. And this becomes even more vivid in the next verse. In verse 12 it says, buried with him in baptism. Buried with him in baptism. So what is he trying to get across here? Look, you don't normally bury someone 
unless they're dead, right? And so what is he saying here? You're buried with them in baptism. He's saying the old you, the old life that you used to live is dead now. It's buried in the ground. It's gone. It's buried with Christ. The old you is dead and you're completely free from your past. And it no longer has any authority or power over you. I love how different passages of scripture say this. It says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. That's what he's saying here. Old things are passed away. Or Galatians 2.20, it says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And so the idea here is that your union with Christ starts in the fact that you're united in his death. When Jesus died, when you trusted Christ, your old nature, your old self, your sinful past was buried in the ground with him in his death. Incredible truth. So many people all the time want like a fresh start, right? Every new year. Or sometimes um, you start in January and then you get to February and like, let's just kind of have a restart because January wasn't so good. And we're always looking for fresh starts. We're always looking to kind of put our mistakes behind us and, and walk away from that. But for Christians, we have a fresh start in that our old nature, our old past, our sin nature was buried in the ground with the Lord Jesus Christ when we trusted him as our Savior. Incredible truth. So not only are you united in his death. Secondly, you're united in his resurrection. We'll keep going in verse 12. Um, it says, buried with him in baptism, but it doesn't stop there. So you're not just in the ground um, doing nothing. It doesn't stop there. Wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. So when you place your faith in Jesus, the old Jew was buried in the ground. It's gone. It's dead. And Jesus raised you up with him and it was a completely new creature, a completely new person, a completely new life. The old you is dead. The new you is here. I think for me, one of the most vivid illustrations of this growing up was my brother-in-law, Mike, um, before he became my brother-in-law, he was kind of like the punk at school. He was a really bad kid. Um, to give you an idea, he, I mean, he was into drugs and, and partying and drinking and all this kind of craziness, right? And um, he was actually super disrespectful to the teachers, super disrespectful to my dad, who was the coach. And one day he got a crush on my sister. And um, my older sister told him, if you want to date my sister, you're going to have to start coming to church. And he's like, I'm not going to come to church, right? Like, why would I need to do that? Like, he, he, I wish I could just put a picture of him up on the screen. Like, he, complete loser, okay? Um, he, he starts coming to church. They know him because they're family. Um, but he starts coming to church, and he made a joke that, that he came just for the view, right? Just to see my sister. And um, my dad knows this guy as, as kind of being a punk and a loser and never listening to him at soccer practice. Um, but long story short, over a, a period of weeks, I think over a month, he was coming to church and he said he felt like my dad was preaching right at him every single time. And obviously my dad wasn't. I mean, he might have been at times, right? But, but he wasn't directing every message to him. He was just preaching. And he said he felt this tug on him like he needed to become a Christian. He said, I couldn't explain it. And finally one day he broke down. And I still remember this. He went to my dad after the service. It was a Sunday night. And he said, I need to become a Christian. He said, I know if I die right now that I am not going to go to heaven because of my sin. And he said, I need to become a Christian. And so my dad took him over to the house. I don't know if you remember this, but I remember we were all praying like, wow, could this really be true? Could Mike Francavella become a Christian? Like, no way. And he's in the office with my dad and my dad showed him the scriptures, how we're all sinners, how we've all fallen short of God's glory because of our sin and how nothing we can do is good enough to get us to heaven. 
And he shared with them how Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins, was buried, and rose again. And, and right there in the office, my future brother-in-law at that point bowed his head and he prayed and he received Jesus Christ as his Savior. And I'm telling you, it was a complete transformation after that. Not only on the outward, I mean, you could see it on the outward, but you could also see it on the inside. He, he actually decided to become a preacher. And um, so this, this like punk, um, partier, loser guy at school all of a sudden wants to be a preacher, right? And so his friends are all like, this isn't real. They, they thought he was just faking it for my sister. They didn't understand. He ended up going to Christian college. I mean, just a complete transformation. And now he's serving as, as one of the children's pastors at the church in Caseville. Helping in the ministry every single week, preaching all the time. I mean, complete transformation. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying when you became a Christian, the old you, that old sinful self that was controlled by sin and controlled by lust and controlled by, by your past, that person was buried in the ground. It died. It was circumcised. It was cut off completely. And you were raised to life with Jesus Christ. Incredible, incredible truth. And this is why it's so important for us as Christians to be baptized, right? Some of you were there last summer when we went out into the lake and, and you saw that beautiful picture of a person who trusted Jesus Christ. They were buried with him in baptism under the water and they were raised to walk with newness of life. It was a symbol showing everybody the old me is buried with Jesus, the new me is here. And, and that's an incredible sign that the Lord has given us to show us and to show everybody around us that we are publicly identifying with Jesus Christ. I love this truth. And so not only are we united in his death, we're united in his resurrection. And I wish we had time. I'm looking at the clock and we don't. Um, I wanted to turn to Romans chapter 6 and just read through the entire chapter. So mark that down, Romans 6, 3 through 11, and just read it later because it's an incredible passage of scripture that really um, just displays this beautifully for us. But, but I don't know about you, this stirs my heart. The old me is gone. The old sin nature is gone. My past with its failures and its sin is gone. It's completely wiped away. And my new identity is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. I've been risen with Christ. I've been united in his resurrection. And this is why Paul can say in Philippians 1.21, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He said, my whole life is wrapped up in Jesus Christ because of what he's done for me. Paul was a Christian killer. I mean, talk about a transformation. He was going and grabbing Christians and dragging them through the streets and taking them and charging them with crime. He was there when they stoned Stephen to death with stones, and he was there holding the coats, just watching it, letting it take place. I mean, this was the life Paul was living. He hated Christianity. And one day, Jesus reached him with the gospel, and Paul became a Christian and became one of the greatest Christians to ever walk the face of the earth. See, Paul realized the old him died and was buried in the ground. And he was raised with Christ. And now for him to live as Christ and to die as gain. And that's the truth for all of us today. We've been united in his death and we've been united in his resurrection. But lastly, you're united in his power. You're united in his power. I love this. Look at verse 13. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him. That word quickened just means made alive. It's an old Older word that means made alive. When you think of the quick of your nail, um, that's the living part of your nail. He's saying, and you have to quicken together with him. He's made you alive in Jesus Christ, having forgiven you all trespasses. Blotting out, we're in verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. 
Now I have to pause here and explain this because the picture Paul is painting for us is so vivid and awesome. In the Greco-Roman world, if you owed someone something, they would write it down. Okay, They had a written record of your debt. And you were in debt to this person and it was on written record for everyone to see. And similar today, right? you get your utility bill or, or your other bill or whatever. And you've got that bill that you owe someone something. And when you owed someone something, they would have this. Um, and this record of debt, and when you paid it, they would, they would write paid in full, and then they would nail it in a public place to show that you were free from all of your debt. And for, for every person born into this world, we were born in debt to God. He gave us life. He gave us this, this beautiful world. He gave us everything we have. He gave us breath. He gave us sight. He gave us hearing. He gave us everything we have. And, and on top of all of that, we sinned against him. We, did, we turned our back on him. We didn't want anything to do with him. None of us naturally wanted to come to God. If you say, well, I, I kind of wanted to come to God, that was a spiritual work of God in your heart. Because none of us naturally want to come to God. And so we were in serious debt to God. Not only were we born sinners, we sin on a daily basis. We're constantly disregarding the law. Right, like Tyler just talked about it earlier. If you, just, if you could just get it down to this, love God and love your neighbor, and you could just love your neighbor, then, then that would be pretty good, but we don't even do that. Right, so we're in serious debt to our creator because of our sin. If you took and you looked at your life up to this point, and you, and you loaded up all your sins in a pile, I mean, you are in some serious debt. But look at how beautiful and merciful and gracious God was with our debt. He took our debt. He took it to the cross. All of our sins and he nailed it to the cross. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. That's, That's incredible. He took all of your sin debt, all of the debt that you owed him because of your sin. You are in bondage to that sin. You are bound by that sin. And God took that sin and he wrote it on this record and he nailed it to the cross and said it's paid in full. And you know, a lot of people out there today are saying, Jesus put the down payment down, but we've got to be really good and come to church and work hard and give money and, and maybe we'll make it in. But that is not the teaching of the Bible. The teaching of the Bible is that Jesus paid it all. He nailed all of our debt to the cross. It's paid in full. And what did Jesus say at the end? He said, it is finished. He's forgiven us all our trespasses. He's blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. And he took it out of the way and nailed it to the cross. Incredible truth. So first of all, we're, we're united in his power over sin. Well, we're not bound by that sin anymore. He, he took it out of the way. He nailed it to the cross. We're, we're not bound by our past anymore. We're not bound by that sin. We have the power of Christ within us, able to overcome. We're not under bondage to that anymore. But he doesn't just stop there. Let's keep reading in verse 15. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them. Now the word spoil here has the idea of disarming an enemy or taking away their weapons and rendering them harmless. I love that. So, so Jesus, he, he spoiled the enemy. He literally took away all of their weapons, sat them down for all of us to see, and showed that they're absolutely harmless to the believer. Incredible truth. And then uh, when I was studying this, I found out that some of you, um, in that phrase it says, show of them openly. He made a, a public show of them. I love this because some of you are familiar with the story 
of Mary and Joseph. And, and Mary was impregnated by the Holy Spirit. It was a miracle. Some of you don't believe that. And I know that's hard to believe, but that's the, that's the truth. And you can study it out. And, and that's been Orthodox Christianity for, for thousands of years now. Um, but, but that happened. And when Joseph found out that she was pregnant, he, he knew it wasn't him. And so he's like, I've got to divorce this, this girl. Like, this, this isn't cool. And what most guys would do in that culture is they would make a big public show of them. And they would tell the whole town that this girl was unfaithful. And sometimes they would kill her. Okay, but, but Joseph, because he was a good man, said, I'm going to divorce her privately so that she doesn't become a public spectacle. Now, we know that's not how the story ended. He was revealed by God that it was uh, the Holy Ghost who had pregnated her. And so he was just like, okay, um, I believe. And, and that was an awesome thing. But, but at the time, he was struggling. And he's like, I'm just going to divorce her quietly. I'm just going to put this thing away. We're going to go our separate paths. Everything's good. That same Greek phrase there is used here, but it's opposite because Jesus didn't privately conquer Satan and the demons. Jesus took him out in the open and he publicly whooped up on him on the cross and then he rose from the dead to show, hey, those enemies are completely spoiled. They're, they're harmless. They have no weapons against a believer now. I've whipped up on them openly and you can look at the scoreboard, right? Isn't that something we do at sports games? Scoreboard, right? When someone's whooped. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He whipped up on them openly, was buried. Satan thought he was winning. Three days later, he rises from the grave, and Satan and the demons are completely harmless, completely powerless. And that is the person that you are united to if you're a believer today. You're united to Jesus who completely destroyed and spoiled all the enemies and rose from the dead. That's the power that you have available to you as a Christian today. That's an incredible truth. And so not only did he give us power over sin by nailing it to the cross, he gave us power over principalities and powers, all of Satan and his demons. Now Christians tend to do two things with Satan and his demons. Some of them, they see a demon behind every rock. Okay, and so, so everything bad that happens was a demon, right? So, so last summer when the wind blew and, and the shades were all messed up and we had to like pause the service and shut the windows, someone was like, oh, that's a demon, right? Like that's what they think or, or you're driving and you, you pop your tire on a nail, oh, that was a demon, you know, Satan's just out to get me or um, you're late for work, you know, the, the demons, they stopped my alarm clock from working, right? I mean, I, I know it's, it's kind of humorous the way we're talking about it, but there's people like that that Everything is satanic. It's never my fault. It was Satan, okay? Um, but then there's the opposite side of the spectrum that's like, is Satan really real, right? Like, is there really demons? Like, do we really have to worry about that stuff? And, and those, are, those are two bad places to be. Where you should be is realize, yes, there are demons. Yes, Satan is active. Yes, he's out trying to destroy us. And, and, and keep us from living for the Lord. But it's not like he's completely omnipresent and he's everywhere in every situation. Okay, there is a spiritual battle taking place, though. But for the believer, remember, we're united to the person of Jesus Christ. And so we have power over Satan and his demons. He can do nothing to us without God allowing it to happen. And we have the power of Jesus Christ within us to fight against that. So we've got power over sin. We've got power over Satan. But lastly, he doesn't even stop there. He keeps going. And, and I love this. Um, in verse 16... He says this, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect to a holy day or of the new moons or of the Sabbath days. Those are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. 
So apparently whatever um, this Colossian heresy that we've been talking about, this false teaching that was starting to float around in this area, they were teaching that to be a Christian, um, you had to do all these weird rituals. You couldn't eat certain meats or drinks, and, and you had to have certain days that were holy and, and, and celebrate new moons and Sabbath days. And, and, and it, was, it was a lot of, of stuff that was pulled out of Old Testament Judaism, and they were practicing it today. And I love what Paul says. He said, those are the shadow. Christ is the body. So what is he saying? Imagine that you could meet a celebrity that you've always wanted to meet, okay? Picture him in your head, right? Okay, who that celebrity is. Maybe it's a famous athlete, whatever. Let's say you finally get to meet him, and you're like, let's meet in this cafe in the middle of town. It's a real sunny day. You meet in this cafe, and you see the celebrity, and the sun's shining, and you see their shadow on the sidewalk, and you just look at their shadow the whole time. And you're tracing it, and you're taking pictures, right? That would be absolutely absurd, and you'd probably get locked up, right? Like, that's just stupid. Why would you focus on the shadow when the body is right there? Don't focus on the shadow. Focus on the substance. What Paul is saying is the Old Testament, with its Sabbaths, and its rituals, and its laws, and all that stuff, that was foreshadowing Christ. But Christ is calm. So stop looking at the shadow and start looking at Jesus. You don't need that stuff anymore. And these false teachers that are saying, you've got to do all this stuff to be a Christian, they're completely false. And that's going on today as well. I said it earlier. But there's people that think in order to be a good Christian, in order to be justified with God, you've got to go to church. You've got to be baptized. You've got to give money to the church. You, you've got to, to confess your sins to certain people. And there's all these laws and rituals piled up that you have to do, and hopefully you'll make it in one day. But that is not what the Bible says. The Bible says that Jesus paid it all. And those who trust Christ as their Savior are completely forgiven of all of their sins. And they're credited with the righteousness of Jesus himself. And so I will be in heaven one day. If we're leaving today and God forbid we get in an accident and go off into the ditch, I will wake up in heaven, not because I'm a preacher or a good person, because I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I will stand before God with the righteousness of God Himself imputed to me. That is the gospel. And so Paul's saying, don't get caught up in that stuff. Man, that was just the shadow. The body is Christ. So, so look at Christ. I love this. Verse 18 We'll keep going. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels. So there's this, all this weird stuff. You're probably like, what is this stuff? And we don't have a lot of time to explain it, but it was all these weird rituals that these teachers were trying to get these Christians to do. Um, worshiping of angels, that's not biblical. Okay, so we don't worship angels. If that's something that you've heard or maybe your religious tradition taught, that's not in the Bible. You don't worship angels. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Okay, and so we don't worship angels angels he says intruding into those things which had which he hath not seen vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind so this teacher was all proud and bragging about all this different stuff that he was doing all these religious rituals and isn't that true of christians sometimes or so-called christians religious people right they get real proud they get real arrogant they look down on people look i'm i'm a good person because i wear a suit to church like no are you kidding me like, that stuff doesn't make you a good person. And that's what Paul's saying. It's, it's pride. Okay? And then he goes on, verse 19. And not holding the head, from which all the body by joints and bands, having nourishment ministered and knit together, increaseth with the increase of God. He's saying they're not holding fast to Christ, the head. 
That's where we get our nourishment. That's where we get our growth. That's where we get our guidance and direction. And that's how we can live the Christian life. It's not by these rituals and rules. It's by holding fast to Christ. And that's what he's saying here in verse 19. And then in verse 20, Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances? It's like, remember that that old you is dead. Why, why, are, you, why are you obeying this stuff? Why are you subject to it? That old you is dead. And, and, and then we get to verse 21, which is my dad's age-old dating advice. Um, this is what he'd always tell me. Touch not, taste not, handle not. Okay? Um, that was the, the words of advice before I went and met Shannon for the first time. He literally was like, son, touch not, taste not, handle not. So parents, feel free to use that. Um, but what Paul is doing here is really he's, he's probably quoting um, some of these false teachers and some of the, the requirements that they're making on these people. And he's saying, so don't, don't be bound or don't be subject to these ordinances. Like, you can't touch this, or you can't taste that, or you can't handle that. that it's probably a quote. He's probably making fun of them a little bit. And verse 22, he says, which all are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men. So don't get caught up in that stuff. So, so what we've seen in this last section of verses, to kind of summarize, because we've gone through a lot, is that we're united in his power, first of all, over sin. He nailed it to the cross. It's paid in full. Secondly, over Satan and the demons. We have, we have no fear of them whatsoever because we have the authority and power of Jesus Christ. We're united to him. And, and then lastly, over religion. We're not bound to religion anymore. Every other religion in the world says you've got to do this to make it to God. But Christianity says it's done. It's done. It's paid in full. Rest in Christ for salvation. So we have power over religion. We don't have to obey that stuff. We don't have to be subject to that stuff. We don't have to go through these religious rituals. And then he wraps it up in verse 23. Which things have indeed a show of wisdom and will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. So what is he saying? He's saying these things, they may look impressive on the outside, but they are powerless in the end. Religion and rules and rituals will not give you the power to overcome sin. And some of you know that. You've tried it. Right? You said, I'm going to work really, really hard to stop doing this sin. And it doesn't work. Because that's powerless. We have no power. The way to conquer sin is not forcing yourself to conquer sin. The way to conquer is resting in the finished work of Christ and really believing rightly. And then behavior will flow out of that. Let me give you an illustration. I was talking to Shannon yesterday. If we really believe that God is the one that adds to this church, then where will we spend the most time um, when it comes to serving the church? In prayer. right? If God's the one that adds to the church, if God's the one that sees the growth, if God's the one that, that works in our hearts to change us into who he wants us to be, then we need to be in prayer. And so what he's saying here is he's saying that stuff, it, it makes you look good maybe, but it's powerless. It's powerless only the newness of life that Christ offers can truly change your heart. And so as we end today, I, I want you to think about your identity. I want you to think about this question. What are some things that are, if you were to lose them today, you wouldn't know who you are anymore? Think about that. Are you living in a house you can't afford? Are you driving a car you can't afford so people will think higher of you? Are you racking up credit card debt, buying things to make you look a certain way? Or maybe it's not material things at all, right? Maybe it's, it's um, your family. Maybe you're, you're trying to put off this show that you've got this perfect family or this perfect marriage. 
I want you to think about what are some things in your life that if they were to go away completely, what if you lost your health? You know, it's good to be healthy, but some people are so obsessive over health that, that man, that, that's their life. And if their health goes away, they don't know who they are anymore. Maybe it's your finances. What if all of your money in your bank account just completely went away tomorrow? Would you know who you are anymore? So I want you to think about your life. Think about the things that you have, the people you're around. And ask yourself, if I were to lose this stuff, would I know who I am? If I lost my job, would I, would I know who I am? What would my identity be? If I lost all my money, if I lost my health, if I got cancer, what, who am I apart from all the stuff that I own or apart from all the, the outward appearances that I try to get across? Who am I on the inside? See, the scriptures teach you're in Christ, and that is your identity. You're in Christ, and that is your identity. Your sins are forgiven. Your debt is paid. The old you is dead, and the new you has been raised with Christ. So don't look anywhere else for identity. It's perfectly wrapped up in the person and work of Christ. And if you can grasp that today, it'll free you from the things that we cling so tightly to on this earth. Because in the end, look, I'm all for saving. But in the end, if your money goes away, that's okay. We've got Christ. I'm all for being healthy. But in the end of the day, if I, if I lost all my health today, if I found out today that I have cancer and that I'm going to die in a few weeks, would it be scary? A little bit, yeah. But I have Christ to look forward to. Man, I am looking forward to the day when I stand before my Savior. And so I'm not clinging to the things of this earth. I'm looking to Christ because I've been raised with Christ. And so I want to challenge you. Are you living in your identity with Christ today? You're united in his death. The old you is gone. You're united in his resurrection. You have new life. And you're united in his power. So to wrap this all up in verse 9. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him. Which is the head of all principality and power. You're complete in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. Lord, we just thank you so much for this opportunity to be in your word today and the truths that it teaches us. Lord, we don't have to look to things or people or money or status or, or anything like that to find our identity. We simply need to look to you. You are our identity. We are in Christ. Lord, please apply that to our hearts today as we leave. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.